Hi, my name is Scott Kerland, and my best friend Lils Martin hates musicals. I'm Lils Martin, and my friend and acquaintance Scott Kerland loves musicals. Wait, what? I don't like, I don't like begrudging for it or anything. Wait, I don't know. I said you were my best friend, and you just called me a friend and acquaintance? Yeah. I was working really, really hard on creating this podcast for you where I show you great movie musicals and bad movie musicals because I love you, but you want to be a dick. We were supposed to court this promo for Hell is a Musical, and what are we doing right now? Sounds like we're recording the promo right now. Hell is a Musical on the Zero Science Network. Be there. Welcome back to Dateline. I'm Keith Morrison, and our top story is an organization out of New York City is erasing the minds of people. Hmm, sounds interesting. We focus on Patrick Baby Boy, who used his power of erasing one Clementine Kurczynski to fall in love with her. Can you say any mindy, mindy, no? Eternal sunshine, spotless mind. It's in the basket. The writer's bagel basket. This is a hoax, right? I assure you, no. Is there any risk of brain damage? It's on a par with a night of heavy drinking. Nothing you'll miss. Writer's Bagel Basket. I'm Scott Kerland, and we continue Baby Don't Hurt Me Month with the epitome of <laughs> of toxic relationship movies, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which we have a return guest who is not on Zoom this time because she is in our bubble and planned accordingly. Who is it? Mallory Severin. I made it. Yes. I made it back. Uh, so... We watched Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, and you and I, you picked this one, actually. I gave you a list of toxic relationship movies, and you picked Eternal Sunshine. I did. I feel like I, what were the other ones? I don't even remember. Um, Silver Linings Playbook. Ugh. Um, <laughs> which is probably why I didn't choose. I mean, I closer. guess. Closer. Which one is Closer? That's the Jude Law, Natalie Portman. Oh, okay. Uh, Julia Roberts, Clive Owen one. Oh, I don't think I've seen that one. Uh, that, I was probably not interested. It's a dark one. Oh, okay. That that one basically, yeah. That that's a dark one. Um and that came out the same year that this came out. So why don't you give us the blockbuster rule? Okay. I prepared it this time. I'm very proud of myself. I highly doubt that, but Shut okay. <laughs> In a world 
where Rose and the cable guy cross paths. They hit the iceberg that is their bat is a bad end to their relationship, only to erase one another, avoiding the need to learn from their own mistakes destined to repeat them. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I well, I thought it was actually good this time instead I'm of my usual with off you. the cu- I know, except when you mess with me, I can never tell and then I feel like it's real and then I get all insecure. <laughs> but I know that that's your enjoyment of it, so fine. Sweetheart, you'd be a lot prettier if you smiled more. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Someone said that to me once. Really? Yeah. When? Uh, it was in high school or college. Of course. Um, and I was in an interview for uh, an internship. And uh, the person who was doing it, he goes, you know, you'd be a lot handsome if you smiled. Jesus Christ. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I have body dysmorphia. Like, that's so weird and awkward. And it's, like, it's even weird that it was a man who said it to me. I mean, it's just, it's, the, I, like, that's not something that you would expect. And yeah. it's equally as disturbing as when someone says it to a female person. Well, also, like, photos of, you've seen photos of me when I was younger. Like, yeah. I had big cheekbones. Like, I had, like, Hillary Swank cheekbones. <laughs> like, I, I was a beautiful beautiful man <laughs> i mean i feel like i can't say that because it's like we're basically related so like gross but <laughs> i know what you mean yeah so this film came out when i was in high school and this goes with my theory so i've told you this theory before i feel that people's like favorite movies of all time come out when they're are not come out but they see them when they're like 11 or 12 like 11 to 13. Shawshank Redemption. First yeah. time I saw Shawshank, I was 11. Yes, I had terrible parents who let me see that movie when I was 11 years old. I saw The Sting when I was 11. Yeah. So, and that's my favorite movie of all time. And, and, um, but my other theory is that like the movies that like really shape you, you see in theaters when you're in like high school. Okay. I saw this in high school and like it really set a standard for me and like, I was, I'm one of those people that got, like, the wrong impression of this movie. Like, the people who put this on, like, their greatest romance. Yeah, who thought that this was a great example of a romantic movie to aspire to. Yeah, but this is a very toxic relationship. It's terrible. Well, I remember we talked about this when we talked about doing this one. And you would mention that a lot of people think that this movie is a romantic movie. And I was surprised because I was like, there is nothing in this that is about romance i mean kind of but like nothing that's positive about relationships i mean in the beginning yeah which you don't get until towards the end of the movie right but every romantic relationship that is displayed on screen is problematic and toxic in some way like okay so clementine and joel's relationship would be healthy if they talked if they communicated i mean there were a few things few notes that i made about the relationship about why i thought that it went downhill but communication is definitely a big one and the crazy thing is we never really get to know clementine yeah you made a great point when we were watching this about how um we we only know her after she has had joel erased and we only really see her from his perception. So we don't know who she is. Right. Because even though it's his memories, everyone knows that just because it's your memory, it's how you remember something and how you remember something isn't necessarily the truth of something. Because we see her like as this horrible, philandering, 
woman drunk alcoholic sex addict at the beginning of the movie yeah who's kind of who's kind of aggressive and i don't mean aggressive in like the women who are assertive are aggressive kind of way i mean she's like straight up just mean right i i shouldn't say the beginning of the movie because the movie doesn't start until 20 minutes in yeah the movie starts at the end the first 20 minutes is the end of the movie so we have this very cute playful version of clementine at the very beginning because basically she's been erased like her mind yeah both of them have been erased and and then the versions that we see go from her being like a drunk shrew to um someone who is easily annoyed and like and defensive defensive and then all of a sudden she is the most charming adorable person in the world and so is he because he's just like her he's like if she is like uh, you know in his opinion overly sexual and overly drunk he is overly prudish yeah so like they're both like two extremes of like two sides of the same coin yeah which oddly enough makes them a good fit minus the fact that their relationship went completely downhill because of, I think I made notes, you said communication. And I also said that, cause when you see them being really flirty, I feel like one of the things that they stopped being is friends yeah. because they, they kind of immediately sort of have this unique kind of friendship. Like she's more assertive and he finds that attractive in her and he's, I think he needs that and she also needs someone who's quiet to bounce. So it's like they immediately have this thing that balances each other and they have a lot of fun. They stopped having fun with each other. They stopped respecting each other and they stopped being friends. And that's one thing in a good, healthy relationship. People forget. And like, this is the problem with Hollywood movies. And I've had a lot of friends, both male and female, who always forget this. And when they're looking for relationships, they're like, well, you know, I just didn't get that like instant attraction. I didn't want to like make out with them or sleep with them right away. I'm like, that's not the signs of a healthy relationship. When you're in a healthy relationship, you want to be friends with that person. You want to yeah. be around them. You're far more likely to have the building blocks of a long-term relationship if you have a friendship at the core of your relationship. Because, uh, you know, former and future guest David Allen Prescott, the one thing that he's always said to me... Um, that has stuck with me is when you're in like the perfect relationship for like marriage, uh, you're friends with that person. That person is your best friend. Haley is my best friend in the world. But like, as you get older, like you want that person that you don't mind going to swap meets with or, or, you know, antique shows or, or stuff like that. Cause like, this is a person that you're spending the rest of your life with it's not always gonna be like 50 shades of gray yeah or, which is complete well, that whole movie's bullshit but like you want someone oh that was the other one 50 shades is what we pitched to you fuck that movie right um uh <laughs> but you would have had to do all three and you're like nope no absolutely fucking not i've i've seen them only because a former roommate of mine at the time had it on and i'd heard so much about the book and so much about the movie and i knew so many people who set seen it and saw all this crazy stuff or whatever and i my roommate had it on and i was curious i was like it's on it's not my choice to watch put it on it's on i'm gonna watch it and i remember thinking at the end of like i was like this 
is the big fucking deal. Like, has no one heard of porn? Like, this was the big... And it's like, so it's very lightly kind of BDSM-ish. If that, if it even is that, I was like, this is the big deal that everybody's been going on about. Yeah. Aside from the fact that the movie is just bad inherently. Right. I was like, this movie is not worth the hype at all. Um, but, but this one, the relationship, I mean, the, the movie is good and the relationship is bad um, because. Oh my God, this movie. I mean, I was, I think it barely had started and I immediately said, this is just such a beautifully done movie and the crazy thing is michelle gondry who made this movie he's made other films but this is his like he peaked and like plateaued with this film because this film is like perfect it really is it's it's so beautifully done the i'm i always look at the background in terms of the effects and and things like that you know i kept on pointing out the lighting um trying to figure out what was practical in terms of effects um, it's all practical yeah which is just it's fucking amazing and it's just it's so seamless it's also shocking that this did not cost a fortune to make yeah cuz it looks like a very expensive movie but to make but it's not which is impressive considering cuz you a lot of times i mean maybe considering the year it was that it's cheaper to do practical effects like that than no, it, it is was to do green screen then. and well that I mean, either way, though, um, it's just so like when the books, like you said, when the books disappear or one of my favorite parts is when he's drowning in the bath in the sink and then they had he, to build a jacuzzi and and to get the reaction of him getting angry and frustrated, um, Michelle Gondry didn't tell uh, Jim Carrey, but told Kate Winslet that he was going to like give her heat stroke to 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 make Jim Carrey mad that this is happening. So Oh my god. They were they were rolling and she's like I don't feel good and like she starts like uh drowning. Did he ask, actually give her or was that she was acting that? Uh He actually gave her a heat stroke. He didn't actually give her heat stroke, but but it got too hot and he wouldn't let her have like anything to drink until the scene was over. Oh my god. Because he was trying to make Jim Carrey angry. So then Jim Carrey's like, "Why are you doing this?" and he's like, "That's what I want." I'm sorry, I don't approve. Uh, another toxic relationship, a director and his actors. Um, that is not, I feel, an appropriate way to get. I mean, that's fucking Hitchcock and the birds shit. Like, that's also Stanley Kubrick and yeah. like, everything he's done. Yeah, I do not approve of abusing people to get what you want. Right. Because, like, that's wrong. <laughs> but my, well, my favorite thing with the transition from the kitchen when he's in the sink. Then the next shot, it snaps to him like sitting up in the car and he is drenched and it it looks so good. And I don't like I he's drive right away. I assume that which is just fantastic. I assume like they built something that looked like a car and it's filled with water so that he could lay down in it. And as soon as he pops up, so it's so drenched because how else can you do that? So what they did, uh, what I believe they did is. They had the car filled with water. And yeah. And someone you can't see because then they frame it so it's just him in the shot, opens the door and all the water comes pouring out. Gotcha. It's just it's just fan-fucking-tastic. And <clears throat> with that scene, um, Jim Carrey, this, like, the whole movie Jim Carrey is not himself. Like, no. He's it, so good in it. This and is it, one of the first things I think, I think the first thing I saw him in. No, I'm sorry, Truman Show. Um, cause that came out sooner anyways. Truman came out Show before. was 98. Yeah. Um, but 
You did see Liar Liar Race Ventura? No, I'm saying, hold on. I'm saying this was, because I still saw Jim Carrey in the Truman Show. Um, what I thought amazing in this movie for really the both of them is that both Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey, that you don't see them as the actors like you right. can with so many actors where it's like, it doesn't matter what they do. They're still the, like you've said this about Will Smith. Like it's still fucking Will Smith. No yeah. matter what he does, it's still Will Smith. Right. Versus in these. I'm that way with Mackenzie Davis too. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. And it, and in this it's Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, but you don't see them as the actors. You see the characters, which I think is a true testament to them. But my point being is that this, to me, felt like the first time I had seen Jim Carrey perform like this. Yeah, and so this was also the year that Kate Winslet should have won the Oscar for playing Clementine. Yeah. She lost to, I think this was the, was this the year Million Dollar Baby? Yeah, I think she lost to Hillary Swank for Million Dollar Baby. All right, I mean... I don't necessarily know if I agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. Million Dollar Baby is a very long, depressing, boring movie. I don't think it's boring. I think it's depressing as fuck. Uh, It's a little boring to me. (laughs) But the reason why, like, then uh, two years later, she was nominated for Little Children, lost for that. She won in the, she won with one of the Leo DiCaprio movies. No, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but she was nominated for Best Actress for the reader the same year she was double nominated so that they could you know tighten the curve yeah she won for the reader was she, the reader not with leonardo dicaprio no the reader was with um uh she's the star of it it's some young unknown actor and i i think rafe finds okay the, i know she won some award for one movie with leo because i remember that was- Revolutionary Road, she was nominated. She won the Golden Globe for that. Okay, because I remember there was some speech that she made where she was thanking him, and it was a whole thing. Um, So I know that she won an award for Yeah. That's what I was thinking, but anyways. But, like, she should have won this year. She should have won for this. Jim Carrey wasn't even nominated. Which I think is a complete travesty. This this film got, like, the only thing this, this movie won at the Oscars was Best Screenplay. Which I think, while it's a great screenplay... The movie as a whole is so perfectly done. The fact it was not nominated for cinematography. Oh my God, fucking cinematography. Can we talk about one of my favorite things was when he's returning to an old memory that they had erased. And I made the point about the lighting, how much I loved the lighting about how they had these concentrated spots on the different actors and it's literally you've got these vignettes and the darkness is literally you've got the visual darkness encroaching as the darkness of his memory is encroaching but also the fact that it wasn't nominated for editing either that's fucking which is oh that's horrible considering the editing is absolutely fantastic like the reason why I couldn't do this for snubs and shrugs is because it was nominated for for uh, Kate Winslet, so it, it wasn't completely snubbed, and it did win the Oscar for best screenplay. But like the fact that this movie did not get nominated for best picture, like, is insane to me. That's terrible. And yeah, but for the relationships, um, oh my god. Elijah Wood is just so fucking awful in this film. He's terrible. Great, great performance. Oh, no. Well, I think it's a testament to his performance how much we hate him. Yes. Fucking hate him. Like, let him get hit by a bus. I kind of fell in love with her that night. (laughs) What? (laughs) You little fuck. What? 
she was unconscious, man. Well, she was beautiful and... I stole a pair of her panties as well. I just remember, like, so he had this come out. This came out around, like, Valentine's Day or... Perfect movie for Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, Day 2005. But he was on SNL in December... Uh, for the Christmas episode for Return of the King, because this came out right after Return of the King. And, like, they showed it when Return of the King came out, and then they showed his episode the weekend that Eternal Sunshine came out, too, yeah. in a repeat. And, like, he had to to say both movies, I believe, in his monologue. Like, you know, I was in uh, Return of the King, the final Lord of the Rings movie, and everyone's like, woo! And I got Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind coming out in February, and they're like, yay. Crickets? Like, what the fuck is they're that? They're like, what's that? <laughs> like, You're Frodo? We don't care about anything else? Yeah. But, like, him and um, I was saying to you that if they made this today, they have Mark Ruffalo in this movie, young Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Which I don't want to sound like one of those people who, like, you know, I I look like this person. But when I was younger, I looked like Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. And I showed you a photo. It's a little freaky. Yeah. And the fact that, that Mark Ruffalo is like my man crush Monday. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I think he would. And you also Does said that, that like. narcissist? <laughs> did you already say that he, that if it was made today. that he So would, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. If, if this movie was made today, I still think they would cast Kate Winslet in the Clementine role. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, I don't think she's got the clout. They would probably replace her with Saoirse Ronan. I mean, I feel like, because these are supposed to be, to what, 30-ish? He's supposed to be in his late 30s. He's older than her. Yeah. She's in her 20s. She's in her late 20s, early 30s. He is in his late 30s, 30s early. early 40s. Yeah, they're like 10 years apart. Yeah, so, like, Ruffalo and maybe, maybe Elizabeth Olsen? I think Elizabeth... Maybe. Like... Because cause saying Saoirse Ronan is like, no, that's she's too young. Yeah. Um, but, we, I mean, I feel like Mark... We don't want to get into Florence Pugh, Zach Braff territory. Ooh, no. Um, but, yeah, I feel like um, Mark Ruffalo would do a great job in, like, in the Joel. Yeah, role. he would be Joel now. Yeah. And, and like, it's a shame that... Oh, and to make it even crazier... What? Make Jim Carrey Dr. Mercy. Ooh, Yeah. Well, I mean, Jim Carrey's kind oh, of... Oh, Saoirse Ronan would be, like, the Kirsten Dunst role. Yes. Yep. So, yeah, like, Elizabeth Olsen would be uh, Clementine. Yeah. Now, now I'm trying to think of other... Oh, Carrie Mulligan. You know, we would think of these people, but you know who they'd cast? They'd cast Emma Stone in it. Yeah, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah, and then I wouldn't want to fucking watch it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, Jonah Hill should be Patrick. Fucking Patrick. Okay, here's the thing about Patrick, too. Fucking, fucking Patrick. Um, is He's using privileged information against well, her. Well, yeah. I mean, I was saying that it's, it's it, their relationship, his relationship with Clementine is borderline assault because he's using, though we had said that the theory is that they never actually slept together. I, it, okay, like, so I we can have this conversation. I don't think... I, I don't think they have because every time she goes to kiss him or vice versa, like she cringes and she goes back because yeah. something is Cause she off. knows something's wrong. Because even even in the memory of Joel remembering, like 
she kisses him and she still makes a face, which that's yeah. what this movie is great about, like remembering over and over again, yeah. watching the details of certain little things. Yeah, I don't think so because she she had him erased and then a week later he got her erased. Yeah. So I don't think that that's enough time, you know. For... um. The relationship that makes sense. I didn't think about that. I don't. I don't think. I. I think that he wants to. Yeah. Well, he's, he's a also fucking monster. He's using. Well, this is the thing. Is why I'm saying it's borderline assault harassment. So if they've not so whatever because he's using like you said privileged information to coerce her. He's a fucking creep into a relationship by using information she was it, about someone she was in love with to essentially gaslight her into a relationship with him. And and that's like the creepy thing with his conversation with Ruffalo because Ruffalo is like, Ruffalo does some stuff that I don't condone in this movie. Like, like how he and Kirsten Dunst get high and fuck each other. In put a pin in that. The- I'm, ta- I'm talking about when, when Elijah Wood's like, you know, I stole this from her house. I stole a pair of her underwear. Yeah. And at first he's like, what? And he's like freaking out. Good. That's a good response. That's what you should do. And then like five minutes later, when he hears it again, he laughs. Yeah. Like, well, there, I mean, I think what's interesting is that, I mean, I think out of all of the characters in this, the people who are the least toxic as their own individual people happen to be Joel and Clementine because everyone else. I would make an argument for Mary. Which one's Mary? Kirsten Dunst. I mean, she's more of a victim of circumstance. Right. But I still think, I guess because I just was appalled at the idea that they are eating this man's food, they are drinking his alcohol, they are getting naked, they are they getting have sex high, in his chair. they are, are having sex in front of this man who's unconscious, like... That's why I think they are terrible. Like, they're all terrible. Like, yeah, okay, she might be the least terrible of all the employees, but, like, that is fucking horrible because you are taking advantage of someone who is unconscious. Like, this leads back to consent and whatever else. Um, though I do need to talk about the business model of this of this business. Lacuna? Um, yeah. But uh, that's why I think the people who are as people – the least toxic are Joel and Clementine. Because if you look at Joel from the beginning of the movie, and I don't know how, like, how much, not the beginning, 18 minutes in, I got to keep saying that because... After the end in the beginning. Yes, after the end of the beginning. When the movie starts with Joel wanting to get, realizing that Clementine had erased him. Right, when he's crying in his car and Beck is playing on the radio. Right. Um... We don't know his, like, perspective. I mean, we, we're seeing what's going on in his mind, and we need to take him at face value. But the the fact is, he even says in his memories, he wanted to try and make it work with, with Clementine. He made a mistake of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it pissed her off, and it drove her away. Yeah. And... Which, I mean, I th- also, it speaks to their toxic relationship that she then took a fight... To then erase him. Right. Which is like how, I mean, the ultimate gaslighting to erase someone from your memory and then that person isn't informed. And the, so the rumor is that like this might have been the one time that like 
it's finally going to stick. But the rumor leading up to this movie is that this has happened like 15 times or like 10 to 15 times. This has happened before. Which is crazy. And like this is what they do. But it's proof that it doesn't work. And the reason why a lot of theorists and people believe that this time it's going to stick is because they now are aware because they have the files, they have the tapes. Right. So they so they know what they've done. So in the future, they can make a different choice. But the other catch-22 here is that, you know, they're going to listen to those tapes again and again and then start finding things wrong in the relationship. Now, the smart thing would be to smash those tapes. Well, I would think that they've gotten these files, they've gotten these tapes, they know that they have done this. It's not like it's a time loop because Kirsten Dunst isn't going to send the files again. So unless they destroy the files, then they have their memories erased and then they end up back in this loop. But also it raises an ethical question that it like because my question, I have so many questions about the business model for this. Right. Um, That when people are coming to erase their memory, they are also having the memory of their memory being erased, the process of going to this business to have their memory erased is being erased, which means there's no word of mouth because people don't fucking remember they had this done. There are no customer reviews. What I and think happens is someone, like, someone gives them the the thing being like, hey, you've done this before. This is what you did last time. Like, like, like just, what David Cross did. But it's like, I'm sorry if someone handed me something saying you've done... Like, I wouldn't fucking believe it unless they played my voice on a tape. Right. But the whole thing, I mean, my thing... Like, unless you keep going back because you don't realize that um, you've gotten your memory erased, I think it's entirely unethical. Well, that's for, the, that's the th- thing with Charlie Kaufman. It's, yeah. It's, tire- it's entirely unethical that this business allows these people to come in and do it over and over again. But that's the thing is like people aren't necessarily going to be coming to have different parts of their memories erased. They're going to have the same things erased because they keep making the same mistakes because they can't remember what they did and learn from it. Right. Relationship wise. <laughs> Right, I mean, because because but- you were saying while we were watching this, the thing that that this should only be used for is people who were victims of something, like whether you were a, a hostage in in a ransom situation, right. or if you basically were in such a traumatic car accident, or you watched someone be murdered in front of you, and you know, let's that- say the investigation's over, and all you're left with is the PTSD, or like maybe you're a veteran. And you have such crippling PTSD that you can barely function, if at all. But it's like, then you also, you know, the argument is whether... How are you going to, you know, grow from that? Right. But also at the same time, I feel like the only potential application, though I don't think that this should ever become a thing in the future, because like Black Mirror territory, he'll fucking know. Um, I think the only theoretical potential application where I think there could be a genuine purpose to genuinely help people is people who are, are so debilitated by their trauma that they can't function, that removing the actual memories from of the trauma will help return them to functioning people. But once again, catch 22, because Clementine, look at what happens to her after this yeah. procedure happens. You know something's there. It's basically 
like like the memory is still there like when you try to delete something that that footprint is still gonna be well i think that's the point of the i think that's the if the movie was trying to send a message i think that's the message is that the you can remove the memories or you can forget you can't remove the feelings you can't remove what it's done to change you right so i'm saying like if this was a real world application the only time it would be effective because they because i know that in trauma victims particularly yeah trauma victims who have ptsd who develop a lot of mental health issues as a result of trauma it actually cha- the trauma itself actually changes the way the brain functions right. which is why people will have some be triggered for panic attacks and and all that kind of stuff and so the only way it could potentially function is if the removal of the memories affected the brain chemistry in such a way that it removed the physical imprints of the trauma uh neurologically speaking to essentially cure someone of their PTSD. Ideally, I think that person would have to be informed to let them know what happened to them, but they wouldn't have the memories of the trauma and maybe that would change them from having from not being able to function in the world from being a disabled person because of their trauma to being functional. However, the message of the movie is that you can't forget your feelings and how it changed you, even if the actual memories are gone. That like, if you loved someone and then that love is still there. Because they go back to each other. Right. And honestly, she even says after she met him at the beginning end of the movie. Yeah. After she, she's like, I know I'm going to marry you. Like she knows that Joel is the one for her, whether or not that relationship is healthy or not. Right. Where like, we've seen really healthy aspects of their relationship. We've seen really bad aspects of their relationship and at the same time we don't know what's real no (laughs) um i mean hell we could be everything we could have been watching could have been part of a memory that was being erased yeah again because okay so there's this famous quote from uh awful human being uh alcoholic film producer and drug addict robert evans uh he made chinatown and and the godfather nope nope you don't know The Godfather? I mean, I know of The Godfather. I've not seen any of them. Anyways, so the quote from Robert Evans is, there are three sides to every story. Your side, my side, and the truth, and they're all correct. Right. Because the way people perceive each other is not always accurate. You could say something that has one inflection and interpret it one way and i could take you saying that as something completely different but that's not what either of those are right so like all the situation that happened with them that led to this we don't know like right well as my therapist tells me all the time feelings are not facts right and your memories particularly your emotional memories are not fully reflective of I mean, it is, but it also isn't. Because like like you said, there's everyone's memory and then there's what actually happened. Because let's talk about what caused all of this to happen. What caused all of this to happen was that they were in Chinatown and Clementine sees a child and wants to have a child with Joel. And he says the wrong thing, saying that, you know, she's not going to be a good mother. Which is just fucking like, what the fuck? are you thinking about saying that but here's my question to you is that 
a real memory of something he said to her which caused this or did he say both of them we don't know maybe he's beating himself up or maybe that's not what he said at all but that's what he remembers saying because of her reaction right because maybe it was a different conversation maybe he was like well, we're not ready. Why do you think we're not ready? Well, let's look at our lives. And he started describing it. She got defensive and he remembers it as her telling her she's not a good mother. And then from there, she comes home drunk from a party saying that she damaged his car. And he, uh, she, go, she basically then starts doing like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and she's yeah. like you're upset because you're wondering did I sleep with someone and he said I know it's you Clem you probably did which is just like oh right like and and then that basically got her to get him erased right like the next day right which I mean it, I mean the reasons why that I mean aside from the fact that their relationship itself was in toxic territory she then not only ghosts him through the memory erasure, but it turns into gaslighting because then everyone that may have known about their relationship is told not to ever mention it. And Joel never gets like a formal letter me like, hey, you are erased from this person. She won't know who you are. So he then shows up at Barnes and Noble. And thinks and, she's cheating on him. And... Right. Well, and, technically she is because the relationship to him wasn't over yet. Right. So there's that and the fact that she has no idea who he is. And that's ga- that's full on gaslighting, even though she's not even though she's not actively gaslighting him in that moment. She went through the process of having him erased so that if she were to ever see him again in the future, uh, she wouldn't know who he is. And that like it like making him crazy. Yeah, and from that in itself is just like, do we really feel bad for Joel? Do we feel bad for Clementine? There, There's no hero here. I feel, though, part, I, partly I feel like Joel and Clementine are actually victims of this like business. Una. Yeah, they are victims because... To take away someone's memories like that, the way they do, and I mean Kirsten Dunst—I can't remember her name—but Kirsten Dunst, Mary. Uh, I think Mary is a perfect example of how damaging this is. Because to, when you hear the tape back, she doesn't want it, right? And she's being forced against her will, right. to get this procedure done, or she's going to get fired because she had an affair with her boss, right? Which the most toxic person in this entire movie. In my my entire pecking order goes Dr. Merziak. Yep. Patrick. Yep. Then. I'm sorry. I have to put Patrick above. I, here's why I, I. Or maybe they're tied. They, they could be tied. But. So one of the things that I, I think that they never talk about. I think it might be in the novelization. I think Patrick is related to him or is his son or. They have nepotism is the only reason why he's there, but also genetics is like they both have this selfish, you know, narcissist, maybe not, maybe sociopathic behavior. So, but I still think that Merziak is worse because, um, because he is older, Mm -hmm. he is supposed to lead by example, and 
I don't know if you... Do you watch The Take? It's a YouTube channel. No. They do film theories and TV theories and they analyze. I haven't seen it. So they did one on the nice guy. Like, this is why... Yeah, the fucked up nice guy trope because nice guys aren't actually nice. They're assholes. Right. And that's what Merziak is. That's Nietzsche, right? Yeah, I knew I thought I could tell you something you didn't know. Oh, no, it's, 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 a, it's a good quote. I'm happy we both know it. Yeah. Oh, and there's this other one I like. It's by Pope Alexander, and it goes... Alexander Pope? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> shit. It's just that I told myself not to say Pope Alexander and sound like a dope, and then I go ahead and well, say... It's, it's no big deal. You're such a sweetheart. Yeah, he's a fucked up nice guy. Yeah. Though I, I guess the reason why I either tie them or put Patrick a little bit above is because, granted, we don't know what happened before, but based on what we're seeing, Kirsten Dunst is the one who, or Mary is the one who makes the move and makes the overtures. Right. And as her boss, he should have shut it down. And then also not penalized her by firing her unless, I mean, also, I mean, kissing him randomly. I mean, that's, you know, inappropriate behavior, which could technically be seen as a fireable offense. You know, him engaging in a relationship and then threatening to fire her unless she continued is one thing. But what I think, um, uh, which I mean that, you know, him forcing her to have her memory erased. But I guess the reason why I put Patrick on the same level is because at least with Mary and Dr. Who's a what's it? Um, she was the one who approached him and made the first move on him. And then he. Well, the, did, we only know that from this movie, from this I guess situation. From what we're seeing. Right. We can but, only theorize what happened. But then you've got Patrick who literally is using, is stealing information and from here's someone. Why I, here's why I think that Merziak is worse. Because I think Patrick saw, from his example, saw what he did with Mary, saw that learned behavior came to him. He saw Merziak do it. and Thought that he could do it too. Right. So that's why I think that Mer- they're both terrible. Fucking- I mean, they're. I mean, we're we're yeah, we're fighting about who's worse. Um, but I just think, I guess, the relationship that made me the most uncomfortable to watch, at least now. I mean, being older and 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 whatnot of seeing it, the dynamic that made me the most uncomfortable because of how we saw it play out on screen, not what we can theorize happened before, is. Patrick with Clementine or Tangerine or whatever the fuck her name was at that point. It's Clementine. Um, he calls her Tangerine because he stole the nickname from Joel. I got all con- right, but but that's what I'm saying is that he stole information to coerce her in a relationship. Whereas Mary and the Doctor, as far as I can tell, neither of them were coerced into a relationship with each other. It's still toxic, problematic, and inappropriate, but there was no as coercion and gaslighting that we could see though what happened before and the circumstances of mary then getting her memory erased can only really be theorized we can theorize that he forced her into it and also i think that he's worse because i also think he was forcing her into a relationship with stan as a way to get her to 
not look at him. You mean after she had her memory away right. and trying to push them? But again, that's just a theory. It's a film theory. Right. Uh, which is which I guess is why what I'm saying is the the reason why I have Patrick so high up there on the shit list is because of what we could see on screen. Right. But so in order of lacuna people, it goes um Oh, lacuna people. Yeah, okay. Mer- so so you got to clump everyone differently. Yeah. So Mary's at the bottom. Is Stan tied with her? How can... This is what I want to talk about. Is that Ruffles? That's Ruffles. That's the rough. Yeah. I told you what we almost named McCoy, right? No, what? Bark Ruffalo. That's fucking great. But but we went with McCoy because we're like, no, people don't love Mark Ruffalo as much as I do. I'd also tease you relentlessly for naming your dog after a celebrity, but... But we would have called him the rough. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know. But so... um, But how how, you know responsible do you hold stan do you do you believe his story that he didn't really know i mean i go back and forth i feel like this viewing let's say i feel like he knows more than he's letting on but i don't know if it's to the degree that mary expects at is assuming at the end because at the end she's like right away like she doesn't she how do i word this right away she's like you fucking knew like pretty much that and also and also um the wife the the doc's wife shows up and yells at him saying thanks or whatever because she's pissed so there's something there where the wife knows so i'm curious if maybe um what was his name stan stan yeah that stan didn't know until didn't know what the situation was until she had her memory erased. And then Stan was then either he came across information or was somehow informed about something, but he didn't know the extent of it, but he knew more than he told Mary. Cause I, I also think Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Merziak was also involved somehow too. Cause I think that, that basically she's like, oh, you should ask out Mary or, or something like that. Like, I, I think that Stan is a pawn. And here's why I don't think he's as guilty. I think that the person who did the erasing was Dr. Merziak. And Patrick. And Patrick. Yeah. And that's why, that's why Kirsten Dunst does not like Patrick. Because she knows deep down inside he did something to her. Yeah. Which is just, I mean, it's further proof well, also, Patrick is a turd of a human being. But but but, but she doesn't like him right away. And, like, we, she doesn't know that he stole something from Clementine's. It has to be something that happened in relation to her. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it, the, the things that happen in this show that it doesn't work in terms of you've got Mary who has these residual feelings – that clearly never got erased. Her memories got erased, but the feelings never got erased, and they just come back over time. And so it, it makes sense that someone does something to you that essentially is traumatic, uh, and then you have negative feelings towards that person. So if Patrick participated in it, she has negative feelings. The same thing with Joel and Clementine. They got each other erased, but they still had such, which I think is why they end up drawn to each other so quickly in the end beginning yeah because those feelings are still there and they don't know and it's the same and i think it's the same reason why at the actual end end of the movie 
that they choose to try their relationship again, despite hearing the tapes, despite knowing what happened to their memories, despite knowing that it's going to go bad and and what's going to happen. They still want this relationship to try again because they don't have the memories of what happened. They have what's essentially like a third party telling them, which is the tapes of themselves, but they still have the feeling of loving each other that draws them together because they don't have the memories of what happened. So that end scene with him saying, okay. Yeah. I'm not perfect. I can't see anything that I don't like about you. But you right will. Right now I can't. But you will. You know, you will think of things. And I'll get bored with you and feel trapped because that's what happens with me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> that originally what was written in the script was she says her little speech and then he was supposed to do a big speech and Charlie Kaufman, the writer, is like, that doesn't work. So the director um, told Kate Winslet that Jim Carrey is just going to basically say something that leads them back to a relationship but didn't tell her that he was just going to be like, okay. And they, they just wrote the line, okay, that he says very, and the way he says it is very sweet. And yeah, very, it is. And and basically her laugh, because she thought it was just going to be like one sentence. That is it was genuine? Like, was like, like, you complete me, or yeah. you had me at hello. Well, there's, a, there's part of me that thinks that this time is going to be different for them. And because part of the reason why I think their relationship failed, aside from the communication and aside from their own problems and and whatever else, that I think part of the problem in their relationship is that they they didn't fully accept one another for who they are. And they didn't communicate either. Well, I'm saying aside from that, aside from the communicate, all of that, I'm saying one of the fundamental and aside from losing their friendship and blah, blah, blah. One of the fundamental things that was a problem was that they didn't fully accept all parts of each other they only accepted the parts that they liked and then the parts that they didn't like they didn't accept as a whole and what happened was those parts that they didn't accept became a problem and I think what happens in the actual ending that makes it different is that they can hear from their own mouths the bad stuff up front and that they choose, despite the bad stuff, they still want to be with each other. And I think that is making, that's why it's different. Because now they can actually accept the bad things and know that they still want to be together. Also, he had the thing erased from his memory that makes her most self-conscious. She hates when people always do, oh, my darling. Yeah. Oh. And he doesn't know that anymore. Right, because that got erased. So then she had to explain it to him. My name is Clementine, by the way. I'm Joel. Hi, Joel. No jokes about my name. Oh, no. You wouldn't do that if you are trying to be nice. I don't know any jokes about your name. Huckleberry Hound. I don't know what that means. Huckleberry Hound? Are you nuts? It's been suggested. <laughs> oh my darling, no oh, my darling, no oh, my darling, Clementine. When uh, she's explaining it to him in the process, it, it kind of feels like she's coming to terms with it, and she's like, "Okay, it's not that bad." Right. So they both end up 
going through this growth. And this is the thing, too, is that they weirdly go through this growth process that I don't think would have been possible for either of them without having had their memories erased and then having these files sent to them for them to learn about right. it. So the crazy thing is, like, their previous relationship was so toxic, but now their new relationship... Is it healthy? Like, like you, it's like it's this weird thing. Does of like, this belong in this month? I know it's so it's so bizarre because at the end you wonder: Does this mean that their relationship can now be functional and healthy, or are they doomed to repeat the same mistakes? And the question is whether or not losing those memories but hearing what happens gives them the ability to grow even more, or have they grown themselves? Because we talked about this, that even though they had their memories erased, it still seems like they made growth without having those memories left. Like they st- like she's not as sharp-edged as she was when she, And he in the speaks beginning. up for himself more. Right. Because like old Joel, as soon as she's like, know what, I'm sorry for wasting your time, I'm leaving, he would just let her go. Right. And now he has more confidence. And even his writing... I think because when I don't know if you noticed, but when she leaves, he looks at his journal. His journal is on the table. He's reading his journal when when she comes in. He's in the fetal position, like freaked out about what he's saying. His journal is in his hand. And what he wrote in the journal is that he needs to be stronger. He needs to be more. Oh, I didn't see that at all. Yeah. His journal is there. Yeah. Like the, the things you notice in this movie picking up like again and again you can find something new and different yeah by watching this movie well what i what i one of the many reasons why i think this movie is a perfect movie is because i have watched this movie multiple times and there's still parts of it that i find surprising because of how not i don't want to use the term convoluted because it's so intentional but because of the way the plot is structured, that it, like even though you know what's going to happen, it's still kind of amazing how it all unfolds. And I think it's the beauty of the script and the performances and everything that you can still kind of get lost on this wonky journey. This might go back into my top 10 films. Like it's in my top 20, but it, it wasn't in the top 10 um, like, cause after a while there were other movies that I rediscovered, but this one I'm rediscovering it again. And it's like going up there. Like I have sentimental reasons. I don't think on right. this podcast I ever talked about my like top 10 favorite movies. I don't think you have. Um, but yeah. So like my favorite film of all time I've said on this podcast is the sting. Yeah. And then the thin man, uh, which is from, it's a 1930s movie. It's about this. Is it scary? That sounds like a scary movie. No. The Thin oh. Man is, is a description that they used to use for criminals back in the 1930s. Oh. It's about a rich, drunk, socialite couple who solve crimes. Really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yep. It goes for my top 10 now that I'm, like, changing this. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, like, solid at number 10 now. Right. So The Thin Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, or The Sting, The Thin Man, Jackie Brown, which shocks people. That okay. Jackie Brown is a Quentin Tarantino movie. Okay. Like of all of the Tarantino movies, everyone is shocked to find out that that's my favorite. Okay. I haven't seen that one. It it's though it doesn't surprise me that I've seen I've I'm curious how many of your top ten I've seen. I've seen the sting. It's it's an homage to black exploitation films. Okay. Which so. I know that you love those. I love that genre. <laughs> um Fargo. Okay. Um haven't seen that one either. 
You haven't seen Fargo? No. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. I'm terrible. uh, Coming to America. Oh, my God. Coming to America. Coming to America is one of my favorite films of all time. Yes. Fuck you, too. (laughs) I I also just... The, the the line that always gets me in Coming to America that will always make me laugh is when he is Randy Watson and he goes, I believe the children are the future. And Clint Smith clapping and him going, thank you to just one person. It gets me every time. But uh, Coming to America, then Back to the Future. Ugh, I yeah. hate when people say like trilogies are their favorite. Like they, they lump in the trilogy. No, the first Back to the Future. Well, because it's like you get it, like cheating. if you're That's doing three a, films, you you can say that it's your favorite trilogy. It is, but but it can't be. If you have a top ten favorite movies, I agree. You can't put a trilogy as a top ten favorite unless you're specifically rating trilogies. So that's number six. Number seven is Your Name. Okay. Eh, you'll see it mm-hmm, soon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh god uh, His Girl Friday and now Eternal Sunshine is John possible. Wick isn't in your top 10 Bill and Ted is okay I'm just saying <laughs> did I do that numbering wrong I don't know I probably when you before you had Eternal Sunshine in, in the top 10 what was there instead The Iron Giant oh okay wait I gotta do that you said I- The Sting Thin Man uh, Jackie Brown, right? Fargo, coming to America, coming to America. Your Back name, to the future, Back to the future. Your, your name, uh, Bill and Ted, um, His Girl Friday, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless. Yeah, Friday. that's ten. Yeah, okay. But so, sorry, Iron Giant <laughs> got bumped. I've had that. I've had that more with television shows, where I've had to um, bump shows off my top list because i find one that sneaks in there. i'll move the i'll move this to eight and his girl friday will be five but <sighs> i feel like you need to have like a digital board of like where you are in the moment of like no because like, i used to watch this all the time and then like i i went through like a really bad experience in college um and you know i watched this movie again in that light and like just something about it hit me in the wrong place at the wrong yeah. time. But this one, this movie is just so good. And like the practical effects, like, Oh, so fucking good. The art design too. And the costumes. Okay. So I, I'm so impressed in movies when they do period pieces and they, they make these beautiful costumes. I'm more impressed in modern day movies where they basically make clothing that fits the personality of the person. Of the character, and if the person plays the role correctly, like if you if you hear a description of a person like Doctor Merziak, and like you just hear this like uh, wolf in sheep's clothing type of person, and you look at how he's dressed with like the the white button up shirt, the the you know shit colored brown pants, yeah. and like these this fleecy zip up. It's like, yeah, that's the type of person. Same thing with Patrick. But then when you get a a character who we'll talk about in a minute, Stan is, to me, Stan is the most complicated character because we don't know 
what type of person he is. And his clothing that he wears is so layered that we don't know this person. Yeah. Because do you know how many layers he's wearing? I, I counted this time. Really? Yeah. How many? Okay. Do you want me to in- include the, the jacket too? Sure. So he has an undershirt. He has a long sleeve shirt. He has a T-shirt on top of the long sleeve shirt. He has a button up shirt on top of that. Oh, my God. And the jacket. And then he's wearing like the maroonish pants, huh. like the, the, the faded Levi's. And then well, he's got the glasses. If, if it's representative of the fact that he's the one peeling away the layers of someone's memory. Not just that, but we don't know the layers of him. Because like when he's you, the most unknown to us. Because when we meet Stan, he kind of has this moral compass. Inviting your girlfriend to get high and fuck well, in someone's I don't house. think that that was the original plan. I'm just saying you made that choice. So right, no, but his original plan was like he he knows how into the process she is. That's why I I feel like I don't think he truly believes or knows about the relationship with Doctor Merziak. He thinks that there was a minor flirtation, but he thinks that she's just so attracted to this process and like this type of like knowledge. Yeah. That that seeing him do this will like get her engine going and right. being like, no, you're the right guy for me. But then when you're watching their story throughout the whole movie, every time she talks about Howard, he's starting to realize. I don't think it's that he knew that they were having an affair. It's he's starting to realize, oh God, they had an affair. Yeah. So he starts I, to figure it out. Because, like, if you look at Ruffalo's face during that scene when he sees them kissing, it just goes, oh God. And, and then, like, the look on his face that, like, it's over for him and that, you know, basically everything, then. Mrs. Merziak shows up and her reaction to him just she starts hitting him and it like doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like so then you wonder how how like at fault is he like. Right. Did did he used to do this with her or was it Patrick who was doing it so that she could meet up with. Right. And like is he involved now because her hitting him felt more like. Not you too. I had faith in you, Pat. Uh, right, Stan. I mean, I'm curious. I mean, her hitting him makes it feel like he was more involved. But at the same time, is she lashing out because she assumes he knew more and didn't do anything to stop it? But then also it's like, well, what the fuck was he supposed to do? It's your husband and his employee. And what is his actual culpability here? Because that's why I believe him when when she says did you know because he doesn't take this as he knows that his relationship with her is over right so so when when he says i absolutely didn't know that's why i tend to believe ruffalo well, that's why i think maybe he didn't know at the time but he slowly put pieces like he knew more than he let on to mary but he means it when he said he didn't know that they had a relationship when it was happening and she and he didn't know that her memory of him had been erased to fix that. And I think he, by, by at a certain point, he figured all of that out, right. but it was too late to do anything or for him to have any kind of responsibility. Cause I think, I think he makes his point with saying like, when she goes, did you know? And he goes, no, did you suspect? And he goes, yes. Yeah. Or he said one time because he saw them flirting at the car 
but then after that it just disappeared. That's why I feel like I'm a little biased because it's Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. But but like say we're recasting this now with with a younger actor and Ruffalo is Joel. And we'll go back and and fully cast this. Yeah. But like honestly for that role for the the nerdy role um I would go with like maybe a Timothy Chalamet mm-hmm. or there's probably oh no no who i would go with i would go with um did you see hereditary no uh did you see um uh uh jumanji the new the new jumanji movies no i did not (laughs) then i'm gonna pick a different actor then okay (laughs) fuck it uh um like who who has that charisma of a young mark ruffalo like i'm trying see i'm stuck on just all marvel actors now that's why i'm trying not to go with like a marvel know who i would do because i keep picturing tom holland but daniel radcliffe yes yes absolutely 100 percent, perfect yeah Dan- daniel radcliffe in in the stand role or maybe adam driver or is okay. is Adam Driver too famous now that everyone would want him as Joel? I think I mm, I think I would like Daniel Radcliffe in it more cuz he he would be more charismatic. Yeah. And like the the funny thing about that is that everyone confuses him for Elijah Wood, so to put him as the more likable character. I mean, that's pretty fucking funny. Yeah. Cuz I know that I like I've seen it where they put photos of him cuz I know that they get confused for each other all the time cuz they do look a lot alike. Yeah. Where's they the do. movie where they play siblings cuz <laughs> Yeah, like they should just lean into it. They they really should they should remake that movie Brothers that is already a remake the the Tobey Maguire Jake Gyllenhaal one. Oh, I don't know that one. Where I'm not a Tobey Maguire fan so I usually avoid his movies. He plays Nothing a monster him, in but, it so. Oh, like, okay. Um, but yeah, the only thing I've liked Tommy McGuire in is the great Gatsby. Cause I thought he played that character. Yeah. I, I thought he was that him as that character worked very well for I what it was. Also like if we, so are we dead set on, on, <laughs> on Daniel Radcliffe? Cause I also just thought of another person who would be good too. Who? Dylan O'Brien. I don't know who that is. Did you see the maze runner? No. Uh, teen wolf. The no. Te- okay. Um, he's in Love and Monsters. Nope. Yeah, we'll stick with Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> I don't watch enough stuff to keep up with you, so. Because, like, or someone who's just timeless, just Paul Rudd. <laughs> oh, yeah, Paul Rudd never ages, so he could play any part. Or Adam Scott. All right, who would play Patrick? See, th- that's the thing you got to do. You have to do, you know, Elijah Wood and Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, okay. Right. No, no. Uh, I said for Patrick, I said like Jonah Hill or someone like that. Okay. Someone. Oh, know what? You'll agree with me on this, I think. Michael Sarah. Yeah, yeah, that'd work. Or Jesse Eisenberg. One of the the guys who kind of looks alike. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I I thought of the perfect stand now that that I said that. Who? Instead of Daniel Radcliffe, who? Andrew Garfield. Okay. I think I still like Daniel Radcliffe better. I like Daniel Radcliffe too, but like, I just love, I, I love Andrew Garfield and he hates Mondays and loves lasagna. <laughs> no, but so like with Stan, I still like, 
it leaves so many questions. And I think at the end of the day, you want to believe him. Well, because he's at the because he's also one of the few characters who isn't a total piece of shit. And I think he's going to quit, honestly. I mean, which I think is fair considering everything. Well, we also talked about whether or not this business is going to get shut down. I think it's going to. I think it has, it has to. Right? I mean, the government has to intervene. Someone can't just go in and delete people's memories. Like, well, first of all, like, would they shut it down or would the government buy the business to use against? I don't know. They would probably want to develop it as a way to extract memories from uh, uh, who's he? What's it from? You know, evil people. Okay, I couldn't think of words. Like, yeah, but but also, I think they would do it to erase like people who know secrets right so if someone had top level security clearance and then they get fired and or something. yeah so they would remove them i mean you know hey if you have a certain level of security clearance and you know things that are top secret and, that's the only th- yeah. way i feel this would work because with with this stuff we're talking about love and feelings knowledge of of privileged information is different yeah you don't when you learn something that's top secret you don't feel something you're i mean i do think that people in those positions may have emotion because at a certain point if you're still a human you know when you're working i would not that i have any idea what that's like but i can imagine that when you're at that level of the things that you know and you're dealing with these massive decisions and consequences of what you're doing i feel like there is a level maybe you have to stifle it a lot but i feel like you would still have some kind of emotional involvement just as you assuming you're a person with empathy i feel like there would still be i mean if we're looking at you know i'm talking from like a safety aspect like knowing government secrets and like knowing codes to stuff that you shouldn't know codes to yeah i'm just saying though that there could still be an emotional element is all i'm saying the whole thing is wild i mean i think i had said that this is this is like black mirror before black mirror came out yeah and so there are aspects that we see and once again we don't know how true they are to like we see glimmers of a healthy relationship like when she is what this isn't healthy but when she's smothering him with a pillow yeah when when he's the way they're playing with each other feels like a real relationship. Yeah. Like you do the stuff you would do with your, you know, significant other. Right. And and then when when they go into his actual memories, like uh her her as a little girl and him as a little boy is the sweetest it's scene. So cute. It's the cutest scene. I really kind of wish I know they did they did you know, Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet do the voiceover for it, but part of me does wish that the children were speaking so you can hear their little voices. And I disagree. I think it would be so cute. Because, like, I think it would just be weird at that point. Because yeah. at the same time, we also saw them as little versions of themselves. Yeah. Too. Well, also, I mean, she's not actually a little version of herself. She's a little version. She's a version of a little girl. No, that's that- her. That is her? Yeah, that's a picture of her as a little girl. It's in the scrapbook. Oh, I missed that. It's in the scrapbook that that they had. I guess because I always thought it was some little girl who was there because when Joel is under the table, she's whatever being the she's in place of the neighbor. So I thought in that memory, she was in place of another little girl. No, no. They show in the scrapbook. They show her as a little girl 
with the cowboy hat. I didn't really, I didn't pick up on that, so I missed that. That that is her. Okay, here's here's something though to think about because we've talked about how we see glimpses of the relationship when it isn't toxic. I'm curious if the relationship was always toxic. We're just seeing when they had happy moments. So technically, if you if you think about it from that standard uh, standpoint, their relationship in that time round was toxic because he was in a relationship with another woman. Well, they well, we don't know what happened that cuz he was technically he was living with Yeah, he was living with her, but we don't know how long after they met that they started seeing each other and what and how what he did with the relationship cuz we don't hear about So so him. in the, in the longer version, there there is a director's cut version and we meet Naomi and Oh, we do. Okay. It's played by a uh, um Ellen Pompeo plays Grey on Grey's Anatomy, Meredith. Yeah, Grey. I know. Yeah. Okay, that's well, a show I actually have seen. All right, because I've I've said so many names. I know. And you're, damn it, Mallory! I'm erasing you from my brain. Um, like you could, I'm cemented in there. But like their relationship lasted for like two to three years. Yeah. So he was like living with her hardcore. Yeah. So that's why, like, now his relationship with Clementine can actually be healthy because, because it's now not starting in a place where one is with someone else and the other person. And it's not immediately after a long-term relationship. Like right. there are a lot of things in place that change the circumstances to make their relationship be more successful. But I also think it lends credence to the idea that they haven't had this relationship erased 10 times. I think that I'm on the camp that what we're seeing is the first time they've had each other erased. I think they've had really each once. other erased at least twice i mean if it was a shorter term relationship if they weren't together for because he said he's had two years removed from his journal yeah there's like two years missing so i'm curious how long was it a two-year period where they were together or was that two-year period where they've been together and then got each other raised and then been together and got each other raised i think it's that one all right i'm still i mean agree to disagree okay but no, it's just like, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I, with this film, I just think that that it is such a good, perfect movie. And it was one of my favorites for the longest time that I was telling you this before we started the podcast that in film school, we had to take a human communications course, especially if we wanted to be screenwriters or film directors, because we needed to learn the human communication ticks mm-hmm. of the human being. Um, to make good storytelling and this class and i told you this the final the final grade was writing a film analysis of a scene taking a scene from a movie that's only two minutes long you had to take a two minute scene and write out the the dialogue you couldn't uh search for the dialogue you had to write it out and she knew somehow somehow she knew whether or not you copied and pasted or if you watched the movie and did it by hand right um and then you had to write like a five to ten page analysis and or was it no i think it was only like a three to five page analysis and i did ten yeah i analyze i overanalyzed the scene and it should have been a four zero. but and this is what drove you crazy i got points off because i did not format space it correctly i just think that's such fucking bullshit i didn't do the margins correctly like you know it's like 
in what real world scenario are you going to get a point? Like, it's just like, why is that the hill to die on? Like, if someone writes, like, I'm sorry, if you're writing a, a 10 page paper when you were only asked for three to five, right? So not only have you gone past what the minimum requirements were, but obviously with the 3.9, you know, she knew that it was a quality paper. She takes a point a point one off for spacing, clearly because she had it like she couldn't just give you the full credit for it. She had to find something. And it's like no if you, one got a 4.0 on that. Yeah, because that makes her a cycle bitch is what I say to that. Because I've had teachers where it's like they're nitpicking because they don't want to give someone a perfect score or whatever. And it's like you're not teaching a lesson all you're doing is you're harming creativity by penalizing someone and proving that there's nothing they can do that's going to be good enough. And that's not you're not rewarding someone for going above and beyond. You are punishing them just because you are so sad with your own pathetic life that you need to exert power over people unnecessarily. Yeah, it triggered me. <laughs> A little triggered. Do you want to I I already told you what scene I wrote, but I picked the scene at the end when they're saying goodbye for the final time. You said so go. With such disdain, you know? Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Jolie? What if you stay this time? I walked out the door. There's no memory left. Come back and make up a goodbye at least. Let's pretend we had one. Um, in the house and the house is falling apart. Yeah. Because to me, that in the book scene, the book scene, I was originally going to do that This was one. a book? No, the bookstore scene I meant. Oh, I was like, wait, what? I meant with all the books. Yeah, no, no. Just, just I was so originally going to pick that one. Yeah. That scene was literally like a minute long. Mm -hmm. It wasn't long enough for me to do. Right. And that pissed me off. So I did the house crumbling scene, which at the time was too long. <laughs> so right. I picked from um, uh, her saying, um, was it something I said? You said so go. And in that scene, when I analyzed it, I still remember it to this day. I just love the fact when she goes, oh, I'm sorry. His response of him going, it's okay. Like, is so sweet. Yeah. Like, I know we're supposed to be talking about how toxic the relationship is, but that scene is just so sweet. And her basically being like, what if you said goodbye this time? Because the way I analyzed it was the fact that people don't get to say goodbye. You don't know when a relationship is going to end or right. going to start. You don't know when the last time you're going to see someone is, whether it is a romantic relationship or a, a family member relationship you don't know when it's going to be the last time. And him getting that closure and just the car ride scene on the way home mm -hmm. is just so good. Yeah. And all of the beats that it hits and the body language that they're giving off in that scene. Yeah. Is just such a perfect scene. Yeah, it really is. I mean, to your point in terms of like we're talking about these sweet moments um, and when this is supposed to be about a toxic relationship, I think it goes back to the point that we are seeing Joel's memory of the relationship, not the reality of the relationship. Because relationships don't always start 
like relationships that are going to end in toxicity don't necessarily start at like peak toxicity. There's usually some toxicity there in the beginning and it delves farther in. So I'm curious if like, I think it's more the good memories that we're seeing when the relationship is better in the beginning isn't simply before things went bad. It's Joel remembering uh, he only has memories of things when they were good and doesn't remember. But the we do see some toxicity in that bookstore scene. I mean, we do. I mean, Be- that's what I'm saying is like it's it's because she gaslights him. She's like, oh, but you're married. And like and and she like just blows him off. And when she does the whole speech of I'm not some complicated thing, I'm just some fucked up girl trying to find her own peace of mind. Yeah, at the very end. Yeah. Yeah, that that's kind of toxic. No, no, she says a different version of that. She doesn't say that that she's some fucked up girl. She just says, "I'm just like everyone else. I'm trying to find my own peace of mind." It's different than what she says in the bookstore. Yeah, too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm going to make them alive. But I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. I remember that speech really well. I had you pegged, didn't I? Yeah, the whole human race pegged. Hmm, probably. I still thought you were going to save my life. Even after that. Mm. No. And in the bookstore, it's more toxic. It's more like... Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like we... Like, for the, the beginning memories seem better like their relationship was better but like there is that little bit of toxicity there which shows the relationship was always toxic it just came to a point that it started off in a toxic place because you also like because Joel isn't assertive and he's he's such an introvert he's obviously very insecure I mean they're both insecure and whatnot he also is just kind of giving over and not like asserting himself as a person so he's letting himself be consumed by someone else and she's latching on to that and he eventually <laughs> grows resentful of her but it's just like it's all that's what i'm saying is like the relationship was there was always toxicity there it just right was minimal in the beginning but and this, then it grew. this time around now going to the beginning of the movie, which is the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, is anyone confused yet? <laughs> yeah. The fact that like when she she kind of snaps at him at the beginning, but she doesn't snap at him the way she did that we saw throughout the entire movie. Like like because we we now know looking back that her mind is all fucked up because yeah. Patrick is torturing her. Yes. He's being evil. Yes. But, like, she she snaps at him by saying, well, you don't really know me then. Like. Yeah. Um, and, but he does. <laughs> he, yeah. Joel does know her. And then she apologizes right away, and he apologizes for being weird. And, like, it it's just so now kind of, I don't want to say healthy, but it, it's. It's more realistic. Somehow they've retained some kind of imprint from what they've been through to have some kind of personal growth without the painful memories that they had. I don't necessarily think that's the best 
message per se, but at least they did get something out of it that makes you think that maybe now their relationship can be different this time because they are now fundamentally different people for having known each other. Like, I mean, maybe it would have been different if they still kept their memories or maybe it just would have gotten even worse because they didn't have the space to grow from it. Um, I mean, because to erase someone from your memory, because like, I mean, that's just like next level shit. And I mean, I think that proves that because they're both willing to do that. Like, I think I had said, you know, I've got scrapbooks and photos of, you know, past people in my life that for whatever reason, you know, those relationships are no longer in existence. But, and even though it ended badly, um, I don't throw away, like, yeah, I still have the bad memories and the good memories, whatever, but I wouldn't trade that. I still have those good memories and I would rather have them because all of those experiences make you who you are. And so it's like the fact that they want to erase each other from their memories is like, you know, they're trying to remove a piece of themselves. And I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just like, well, it's, oh, if anything, it, it's, it's kind of like what she said on the tape. She blamed him for turning her into something that she didn't like. But the fact is, I feel like she always knew that she can't blame Joel. You can't blame. Well, that's the thing. I think she didn't like herself to begin with. And then right. she decided to blame him for it. Right. And that was a big part of the problem in the relationship. But I think the fact that they were willing to throw away these memories and not take them for what they were and try to grow from them as people and instead wanted to take the shortcut and erase each other and just cut them out of their lives without a word because she didn't actually break up with Joel. She just fucking erased him. And yeah, like, she left. Bit. Exactly. And so it's like, I think, and then he in turn erases her, I feel like is just an example of why they themselves were toxic because they were unwilling to hold on to memories and to try to learn and grow from them, which they ended up doing anyways. I also also think she made a mistake. I think she didn't realize that they, well, she did say on the tape that she was a racist Joel, but I think she only went that way in the end to actually go through with the procedure because um like she was already there i think she just wanted to erase that fight that they had and then she ended up going through with the whole thing right because she learned that you just can't erase this one thing and then she was like fuck it do it all yeah because honestly if this if this procedure wanted to or not procedure if lacuna wanted to be a good institution don't erase everything of the entire relationship erase the fight because like that's honestly what needed to be fixed in their relationship they both need to just forget about that but again part of part of a healthy relationship is knowing how to fight with your partner. Right. And if you can't fight in a healthy way, the relationship isn't going to be healthy. So I think erasing a single fight, that was in itself a bad fight in the sense of it was an unhealthy way to fight with each other because it was bad communication, that erasing a fight like that doesn't help them learn from it. If you erase that fight, they're just going to fight like that again. But having that type of fight and examining that and saying this was not 
helpful and then learning but that's because that's the problem the the whole lacuna removes people's ability to take an active role in growing from their own experiences and that's just also a form of of toxic masculinity because this is an, an institute and a procedure created by you know this man to to basically put people in a place that he thinks they should be in. Yeah. I was trying to think of how to word that without making it sound bad, but it's always going to sound bad because that's honestly what Dr. Merzak is. is yeah. He's a man who is trying to control how people think. Yeah. Honestly. so fucked up. Honestly, if, if this technology was more powerful, he would be a villain in a James Bond movie. <laughs> and... To comment on the relationship of Clementine running away, to quote a very famous philosopher, you can either run from your past or learn from it. Yeah. Do you know who said that? No. Rafiki, the monkey from The Lion King. Nice. <laughs> you can either run from it or learn from but that's it. The, but that's the whole point is that these people are running from their bad memories instead of trying to face them. It's the easy way out. And it's, you know, it... That's why I said the only the only way I could see this functioning in a in a good way to actually genuinely help people is people who have debilitating trauma to the point of being non-functioning. Yeah. Or semi-functioning or whatever or d- being disabled from their trauma. The one the one woman I want to talk about is the woman who was trying to forget her dog that I mean it's just I mean there were a couple of moments that were kind of funny and that's just like why would you want to I mean, it's funny to me because it's like, wh- why? What like, did the pet ever do to you? Well, also, like, I understand the pain of of getting over a pet that dies. But, like, if anything happened to my pets, I don't want to forget them. It, they're, they're, yeah. my, they're my children. It's I very, love my dogs. The like, idea of wanting to erase, like, that's why the whole idea of wanting to erase things. Yeah, it's like maybe there are things that I wish I could forget or... Whatever, but ultimately, you know, I wouldn't want to remove experiences, good or bad, because they are what they are. And it's like they make me who I am. And all I can do is I would rather have them to learn from them than because if you don't have them, then it's gone. And it's just like, who are you? Because like all of this just basically shows I, I feel like Charlie Kaufman is trying to say that that people who erase people from their memories or try and forget their past are weak. Were you getting that vibe? I mean, if that's the message he's trying to send, he's not entirely wrong. Because they're all trying to take a shortcut to to get over grief. They're not trying... Because when a relationship ends, uh, a lot of ways it's been described is that it can feel like someone died when a relationship ends. And, you know, people are, you know, the woman's trying to forget her pet or whatever. And so it, essentially it's people trying to erase their grief and not go through the grieving process. All that does, though, because you made this point when I had said about trauma and whatnot, you had said, but if someone erases their trauma, it can maybe that trauma would have made them stronger. And that's why I said more like if if it's debilitating and you can't function. Right. Um, but if 
you're not going through the emotional process to deal with this. You're not building the emotional skills to handle these things in the future. So every time something you're bad make happens, the same mistake. Not only are you going to make the same mistakes, but you're not. You're never going to learn how to handle these problems and how to deal with it emotionally, how to grow from it, and you're just going to be creating doing the same patterns over and over and you're not going to move forward you're going to be stuck forever right so i don't think i i don't think it's you know wrong to say that yeah choosing to erase things or people from your life is a it's a shortcut that ultimately has no um positive after effect really because no one should do this procedure except maybe for david cross and jane adams characters that married couple that. Oh my god, they suck. They treat each other like garbage. Yeah. Which is like you just start off and they're just fighting and throwing be- I mean, the irony is is that it's, you know, the the toxicity that we see cuz I think I said with their relationship in particular, it's, you know, hey, it's based in reality. Right. Um it's and that's another thing that I think this movie does well is that the characters are all relatively believable as real people. Yeah. I mean, I do think that Clementine has some manic pixie vibes. But again, we talked about this, that she isn't there to fix him. And if anything, he's there to fix her. Right. And And Joel is technically a manic pixie dream boy. Right. And also we are mostly getting to know Clementine for the most part from Joel's perception of her and not actually who she is, which is 500 days of summer kind of a thing. Right. So, but but with Five Hundred Days of Summer, we actually see summer. It's not told from Tom's perspective. It's. I thought that the running theory though is that we are seeing it through his lens. No, we are seeing it from the frontline guy. <laughs> but it, they're almost doing it like it's an expose. Like the the narrator is like this this frontline. I think it is the guy who does the front line. Oh, I always thought that it was about how um, he sees summer as he does something that he, she's not. He does. And then he punishes, he tries to, he gets angry at her for her right. being clear about what she wanted and him not liking it. Right. But but we don't, we see basically what she wants. We don't see it from his perspective. We just see things happening in real time. That's why there's that scene in the movie where it's expectation versus reality. Yeah. And that gives us a clearer sense of, of Summer from the, the get-go. Yeah. And that's what makes it clear. And they added that scene because they didn't want people to be like, oh, well, this is his perception. And they didn't want to vilify Summer. Where Well, no, I didn't see that at all. Because, well, a lot of people at first, like, don't like Summer. Yeah, because they think that she should be, cause, yeah. Yeah. Which is bullshit. Right. And, and like... Because I, I, we talked about it on the podcast when we did that episode. I think it was two years ago. But, like... Like, I remember when I was, like, dumb and in my 20s, I was like, oh, man, he's just a hopeless romantic. And now I'm like, he's a fucking asshole. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the benefit of getting a little bit older. So you have a bit more of a perspective on people and relationships and knowing what is actually fucked up versus what's not. Where in this one, we kind of see from Joel's perspective where where he learned from this perspective. Not he didn't learn from his perspective. He learned from this experience he didn't get to experience it again when he heard the tape. He heard the tape and it scared him yeah. that he would do something like this. Yeah. And I think that's why he basically is like, you know what? I did something stupid. She did too. It's okay. Like, let's not 
repeat history. Yeah. And maybe I need to be more communicative. Yeah. That's a word, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But all words are made up, so it doesn't matter. But like it it becomes very clear that he sucks at communication, she does too, and maybe they're gonna learn from it. Yeah. Well, I think also now they have, like I said, they have these recordings and they know where things could go. And I do think. But I don't think they should keep on listening to those recordings. No, I don't think it's. My point is, is that. No, I don't think it would be helpful to listen to them. But my point is, is that they know that things can go bad and how they could end up talking about each other. That's not what they want. They don't want to erase their memories. They realize I think it just it gives them an opportunity to do things different without knowing exactly what goes wrong, because I think if they both have a sense of themselves, they know their own patterns and they know where things can go wrong. So they'll know how to stop things from going downhill. Because with the theory, them on the beach at the end and how it jump cuts and jump cuts, some some theorists are people or fans or stands or whatever you want to call them believe that that's just the infinite loop that they keep doing it again right and the hard jump cut is okay let's try this again and again and again but honestly what what it should basically come down to is like we said before it needs to be them communicating and i think that they're gonna do that which means that now they're trying to form a healthy relationship yeah but where it's becoming toxic is back at Lacuna. Right. Because technically Mary is going to go to prison because she stole files. Yeah. And sent them to people. Right. <clears throat> she broke the law. Though, yeah. But I was going to say she sent it to the people. I was going to, you know, she did send it to the people of, of their memories. So it's basically, she's retur- it's kind of like she's returning property. But the question is, is that who owns... Who do those medical records belong to? If she's sending those, because if it's considered a medical record, because it would, it's like a medical procedure, and she's returning, she's sending someone their own medical record. Is that breaking? I mean, yeah, she's removing files without permission, right? But is it breaking the law to, to give someone their own medical file when it's a when it's like? I mean, I feel like it's, but but I feel like like Merziak is such a bad dude that we we didn't even see i feel like this is a dangerous man like he's all calm and nice oh it's a great quote i'm glad we both know it yeah there's something in that man he's like about to snap yeah so like the fact that she's messing with his business and he's lost his wife and now he's lost mary and he's probably gonna lose his kids yeah well i mean it wouldn't surprise me if he snaps because he's created a business to remove people's memories. And anyone who's willing to do that, like the whole thing, I mean, this is all about toxicity. I mean, the fact that he thinks that this is a service he should give to people, this is clearly, and the fact that he enters into a relationship with his subordinate, I mean, this is all about power. Who is like 35 years younger yeah, this than is him. this is all about power dynamics. So her releasing these medical records, I mean, this can substantially damage the business. This could also bring down 
you know, governmental regulations, all this other kind of stuff, because maybe they were kind of flying under the radar because they didn't have multiple locations. Like, you know, who knows? And also people erase their memories, so they're not talking about it too much, you know? And, um, but obviously there's problematic power dynamics here. And I see what you're saying because it seems like he could be in the position to literally fly off because his power is being threatened. Yes. Or taken away from him, and then he'll just lose his shit and, I don't know, go on a murder spree or something. Well, I think he'll go after her. He'll yeah. sue her. Yeah. I don't think he's going to kill anyone. I'm just, I mean, I mean I'm exaggerating, but, but like. he's he seems yeah. like the type of person who will be like, oh. He wants to punish her. Yeah. Where I think at the end of the day, he's only just going to be left with Patrick. I really think Stan is going to leave. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean. How- anything else no it would just be interesting to know kind of what well that's what i think is the nice thing about this movie is that you're left thinking about it which i feel like good movies do that they they keep you thinking about not just the simple things about the plot or whatever wondering what happens to the characters after the movie ends but also makes you think bigger about, you know, how important our experiences are to forming who we are and how we make our decisions and and things like that. How many bagels? I honestly, I'm going to give it a 13. Me too. I think from beginning to end, it is pitch perfect. It is so good. It's not what I would call like, like I'm not going to put it on my list of like favorite. I don't have a list of favorite movies. I have a top, I have my number one favorite and then there's everything else. Um, but it is what I would consider to be a perfect movie. And I think there are few of those where it's just so perfectly done. From, like you said, from the costumes, because you've, um, you've got Joel in darker colors to reflect. Always his, a sweater too. Right. Um, so he's constantly being protected because he's kind of insecure of the outside world. He also wears a collared shirt because he's right. also trying to like save his neck too. He's right. Like- he's an introvert and whatever else. And then you have Clementine who's always brighter and louder with her outfits. And then you've got. And also her clothing is kind of like thinner because that like how do her personality is who she is is more out for the world to see right. than his is, which is very with within and protected. Yeah. And so you've got the the costumes, you've got the lighting, you've got the sets, you've got the editing, you've got the plot itself and how the whole story is structured, the performances, um, the effects, which are just I just can't. I mean, it's they're just so good. I love practical effects. They always they almost always look better um so the costume designer of this said that the way she dressed kate winslet she wanted like more vintage clothes more like thinner material because she has both you know an airy personality but at Mm -hmm. the same time she also has thin skin yes yep where joel kind of has a thicker skin but he he's more withdrawn and within himself internalizes is the word I was yes yeah yeah so so she is more you know vulnerable and out there and basically doesn't need approval where he needs to feel like he's fitting in yeah and then you have stan who is like layers upon layers then you have basically 
I didn't even notice this until this viewing. Patrick is not only trying to pose as as Joel, but he also tries to dress like Joel yeah. too. Now that you mention that, I'm now remembering that because he tries to wear the 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 sweater, but underneath the sweater is a t-shirt. Yeah, which shows that he's never going to get it right. Yeah, he's just trying to evoke the feeling of Joel to try to convince her. I mean, oh, it's so fucking gross. But it's just, I mean... Also, the one person we didn't talk about for her costumes is Mary. I don't even remember. I mean, I feel like she was wearing... Like, she's in a lab She's supposed to seem... Well, she also wears, like, sweaters and and stuff to make her seem reserved. But then, like, the next scene, she's in her underwear dancing with with Ruffalo. So, obviously, she has somewhat of a care for... I mean, you don't sleep with your boss if there's not a part of you that isn't... I don't, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it, but not willing to let yourself go without worrying of consequences or I think she lives whatever. for the moment. Yes. Okay, thank you. That's what I was trying to say. I yeah. was I was gonna say loosey goosey, but that wasn't really <laughs> no, capturing. She, she wants she wants to be in the presence of greatness. Yeah. She wants to feel like she's, she's attracted making a, to greatness. Yeah, yeah, she wants to be making a difference. She's kind of like um did you see Bowfinger? No. She's kind of like Heather Graham's character in Bowfinger. Okay. Well, that's what I what I think, you know, from the costumes to the lighting to everything, each character is believable as a person. Right. Which one of my most frustrating things when I'm watching movie, a movie or a television show is when a character is a cardboard cutout of a human. Or they, too perfect. Right. It's just, it, it makes me uninterested and it doesn't make me care about them because they're not actually people. I don't want to watch a car, I don't want to watch a carbon copy of, a carbon copy of a human being. Right. I want to see real people and watch a real story. And I feel like even though this is outlandish from the perspective of the whole memory erasing thing, because I hope that never becomes technology that's real. Um, probably already exists. Let's not think. I I don't, my paranoia brain is enough. We don't need to add something to it. Um, the, at the at the core of it, the idea of grief and love and all these things are not only very relatable, but, but you understand each character's motivation, even if you don't like it. I mean, it's just very, and I think you can in some way, even the horrible characters, you can relate to each character in some way. Um, and it's just, it all adds to why it's such a perfect movie. So that was Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Thanks for doing this, Mallory. My pleasure. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email us at writersbagelbasket.com. If you haven't checked out my other podcast, Hell is a Musical, please do that. We are doing some great stuff. We have Jesus Christ Superstar coming up. We also just did Newsies. So we got some great stuff. We have the entire year planned. Um, Until next time, I'm Scott Kerlin. Bye.